Hey, this is your host Shane with another exciting episode of Radical Rocks. Today we're going to talk about a fisherman who reeled in a fossil. We're going to talk about a mineral that actually has a memory. We're going to talk about Lakota Blue Ice, Royal Peacock Opal, and more. First thing I found was a geocrystals, quartz with no clouds. Agate was hot and the ground was hard, but the gems were there to be found. See, I've been through the desert, found a rock with no name, felt good to have in my hand. In the desert, you can find lots of rocks, cause radical rocks are everywhere. That's right, radical rocks are everywhere. And today we're going to be talking about radical rocks uh, as far as the LA Gemstone Heist, um, the Royal Peacock Mine Opal, High Desert Minerals, and so much more. So stay tuned, you're really going to enjoy it. I want to thank you all for supporting us on the different social media sites. You can find we have a good presence at uh, MeWe. We're also on Truth Social, Locals, Gitter, Parlor, and uh, Facebook. We have YouTube videos. Just look up Radical Rocks. You'll find us everywhere. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into it with our first story. Um, I have a crossword clue from the LA Times. It's called uh, Fresher... FresherLive.com, and they have these crossword puzzle clues, and there's several of them are on gemstones. So, hot springs gemstone, what would that be? A hot spring gemstone would be an opal, and we're going to talk about opals uh, toward later on, a little bit later on. So, stay tuned for that. Um, next, let us talk about if it didn't close on me. Hmm, where'd it go? Well, let's talk about the surface of some asteroids that are littered with rock popcorn. Surprising research reveals this. Alexandra Mikeu tells us at uh, zmescience.com tells us about these asteroids. Well, the first time that they got close to the asteroids... They were able to look at them back in about 2019. Um, they looked at an asteroid that landed on the Earth. And this was a phenomenon of the pebbles that were along with it that they hypothesized. But once they were able to get the NASA Orias REX spacecraft to approach one of the asteroids called Binyu, they were able to see that on the surface of the asteroid there was pebbles bouncing up and down, much like popcorn, although will probably break your teeth into pieces. So this is an interesting um, phenomenon that happens as these asteroids are hurling through space. These fragments um, are staying on it um, because the meteorite is freezing. It has liquid nitrogen thawing. Um, these things are some of the things they say that keep it together. 
um, and, and it won't break apart until it gets closer to a heat source. So they used a CT scan to look at the one that fell in 2019, and they could see these grains known as uh, chronudrals. So these grains, when they form in space in the absence of gravity, they take on almost a spherical shape, like little BBs or ball bearings, and um, that is a dead giveaway to them. So very interesting article. You can read that if you want. And uh, next... Thieves steal a huge amount of gemstones. This was in uh, Los Angeles, California. There was a Brinks driver, and he actually fell asleep in Southern California. And the thieves were able to break a lock. This was a like a semi-truck that Brinks had. And they stole millions and millions of dollars worth of jewelry and gemstones. You can find out about this at NBCNews.com. Um, $87 million, maybe even up to $100 million uh, worth of gemstones. The jewelers say the cargo was worth $100 million, even though the declared value was only $8.7 million. So I guess this is common. Um, they feel like you know it's not going to get stolen, so they go with a lower number, and that keeps their insurance down. But in reality, the replacement of this, probably at retail, was over a hundred million dollars. So one driver, apparently there was two drivers here, one decided to go get some food at a rest stop and he was nearly away for half an hour while the other guy was sleeping. They sold 22 bags of jewelry and fled. Wow, crazy. Um, a federal lawsuit was filed on August 4th in New York and stated that, that the, uh, the report on the manifest was it was $8.7 million. So who knows? I, I'm, I would think some of this stuff would would uh, turn up at some point. I mean, a lot of jewelry has laser engravings on it. Now, here's an interesting article. The fuel for clean energy. So what mineral do you think would be associated with clean energy? It might not be what you think. According to visualcapitalist.com, uranium is the fuel. And uh, Bruno Venditti and Sabrina Fortin tell us that many different uh, uh, numbers are tabulated to make this claim that uranium is a fuel for clean energy. And with the demand for electricity to grow to 50% by 2040, I mean, you know, what are we going to do? We're going to burn all these hydrocarbon fuels to, to make electricity? I mean, you lose energy. Whenever you convert one form of energy into another form of energy, you don't gain energy. You lose energy. So you're burning all kinds of fuel to make this so-called clean energy. So, you know, and then same thing. When you're making solar panels, you're burning all this energy to make these solar panels and spending all this money, which is probably going to go to China, most of it, because they're pretty much the only place that's making uh, solar panels in substantial numbers. And then it's such a hazardous waste that really nobody's even discussing how to get rid of this stuff at this point. They're dealing with the wind energy and talking about how to get rid of that waste um, some ideas have popped up, but they still haven't solved the issue. These uh, big wind vanes are killing birds and um, could, could be uh, 
an issue in our landfills for up to 500 years and they don't last forever. They only last for, you know, maybe 10 to 20 years and then they fall apart and they need to be replaced. So all these things have to be overcome and they need to be considered. Um, but nuclear plants are a major source of clean energy. Now, of course, we know that if they have a failure that that, you know, that could be argued, right? But here's some of the things they tell us. Um, nuclear generation by country by 2021, they have a map all over the world. And the top producers of nuclear energy would be um, the U.S., followed by China, followed by Russia, followed by South Korea, and oh, France is pretty high too. Actually, China, France, and then Russia. So, um, But they have, Mexico has them. Canada, Sweden, Finland, UK, Spain, South Africa, um, the UAE, and uh, Japan, of course. They've, they've probably lost a lot of theirs that they did. But energy efficiency of uranium pellets compared to fossil fuel. So when you think of the fact of just digging it out of the earth, if you have a one-inch tall uranium pellet, um, it says that uh, 10 of these pellets can power an average household for a year. Now, it would take a ton of coal to do that, or it would take 120 gallons of oil to do that, or it would take 17,000 uh, to the power of three natural gas to do that. And that's, that's to, to make the electricity to, to be able to do that. So they say nuclear power isn't just an improvement over fossil fuels. It beats renewable sources in other key areas like CO2, life cycle emissions, and land footprint. So they go into the CO2 uh, production of these different fuel. And, you know, coal is 820, natural gas about 490. Uh, hydro, of course, is very, very low. Solar is low, geothermal's low, uh, biomass is higher, but uh, it's not including the creating of these. Wind, of course, is low, and um, nuclear is very low, too. It is actually the lowest, aside from wind, they say. Uh, the demand for uranium has gone up uh, year by year. They have a chart on that. The reserves per country, actually, Australia has a huge amount uh, I know Afghanistan does too, which China now controls all of that. Um, several other countries. We only have 1% of uranium deposits. Uh, we have a lot more uranium, but it is not economically recoverable at this point. So we're talking about uh, uranium that is economically recoverable. And they're exploring for uranium all over. I get updates on the mining industry for all minerals and um, especially lithium and green energy, cobalt, things like this, uranium, um, things that are used for batteries and things like that. So, but the articles are probably a little boring for our group. But the uranium project, it says one company, uh, the more uranium project is it an advanced stage uranium exploration property with high-grade uranium mineralization? So there are projects where they're looking for this. They're um, 
getting ready to dig more uranium. They're finding areas where um, it is profitable to mine high-grade. Uh, Canadian uranium is another big one that is talked about here. Um, they go into uh, more information on this. If you want to look that up, again, visualcapitalist.com. Just look up uranium, the fuel for clean energy, and check that out if that's something that interests you. Now imagine you're fishing and you feel something heavy, kind of feels like a rock, and you reel it up and it is a fossil. But you're not really sure what kind of fossil it is. Or it's, it's, you think it's just bones, okay? It's bones. So you snap a picture and you post it on social media. Well, Newsweek.com tells us about a Nebraska fisherman reels in a 90-million-year-old fossil. Uh, Ed Brown tells us about this. They've got a video there, and that's exactly what happened to this fisherman. He reeled up this, this super heavy skeleton, and he thought, what the heck? Took a picture and then dropped it back down. Well, people noticed the picture and they said, oh my goodness, dude, you have this, uh, what, what is uh, said to be this ancient fossil of a particular type of fish. I think it was a um, bull, a bullfish. Uh, let's see if we can find here. It has it here somewhere. I was just looking at it. It was a huge skeleton. This wasn't the biggest one ever found, but they can get quite big and, um, Luckily, this geologist uh, caught up to him. They saw the picture and they said, you know, hey, we've got to find it. He had remembered where the GPS data was and was able to find the exact spot. And it was a bulldog fish, a uh, giant bulldog fish. These things uh, would have been huge. This supposedly happened before the continents broke in half when there was a much larger um, ocean that uh, covered the earth. All right. A mineral that can remember. Can you imagine that? What does that mean? A mineral that can remember. Let me get a quick drink here. All right. It's actually Vandium. Uh, at interestingengineering.com Nergis Furtina tells us all about that this mineral that researchers have discovered is a mineral that can remember like a human, they say. Well, I don't know if it's like a human or not. But what they did, they looked at Vandium, uh, which is a dioxide VO2, and they said it is capable of remembering the entire history of a previous external stimuli. So what they did was they passed electricity through this vandium at 68 Celsius and the lattice structure begins to change. It undergoes a, a, a change as the electricity goes through it. Now, once the, the, the electricity is, is taken away, the mineral returns to its original conditions and reverts to an insulating state right after moving what they call the excitation, which is this electric electricity. So what they did was they took uh, a current 
and excited uh, it again, and it remembered. It remembered this, and they said that the first phase transition and anticipated the next. So as they started to do the electricity, they, they let off, and it continued to go ahead and do the whole transition that it had done, even though it just had a very slight stimulus to do it. So apparently this, the structure is a kind of a flexible thing that happens. It says, researchers went on to find that Vandium is capable of remembering its most recent external stimulus for up to three hours. The memory effect could, in fact, persist for several days, but we don't currently have the instruments needed to measure that, according to the professor here. The importance of the memory effect reveals the property in vanadium dioxide that had not previously been known. So, kind of interesting. Um, this means this mineral could be used for probably computing um, and other types of architectures where a memory is needed and electrical control of such states is challenging, where something would have a long-lived structural state, such as in vanadium dioxide, this could help them to be able to uh, be able to manipulate the mineral on short time scales and uh, track it after excitation and uh, be able to use it in this way for, as a semiconductors for electronics. Um, in terms of high-speed energy consumption and miniaturization, it as well could provide a route to neuromorphic computation and multi-level memories. So a lot of big words there for saying uh, this thing is going to be able to be used in memory for computers and those type of uh, fancy uh, creations okay, or inventions. Minerals found in the high desert. This uh, is uh, always of interest to rockhounds at desertnews.com. Patty Orr tells us in her four-part series about some of the minerals that can be found in the high desert. We talk about these all the time, but there's a lot more there than just gold and silver. Um, there are so many others, such as soda ash, potash, uh, and a few others. And some of the ones that uh, people don't always think of is borax. It's a salt. My grandmother um, used to live out in Kern County, and every once in a while they would uh, travel uh, across the desert and she would go out to uh, Boron and Borax and where the 20 mule teams were. This Borax is a salt, uh, hydrated borite sodium. Uh, they use it for cleaning and things like that. It's usually available as a powder or granule. Um, borax has many household uses such as pesticides can also be used as a flux for metal soldering or metal welding. It's a component of glass, enamel, pottery glasses. It can also help protect against wood fungus. Borax was first discovered at the lake beds in Tibet in Persia, and um, it was traded with the, along the Silk Road to the Arabian Peninsula in the 8th century and uh, became common common to use in the 19th century as uh, smelting and for cleaning and things like that. The Pacific Coast Borax Company began to market and popularize the 20 Mule Team Borax trademark, which was named 
for the method that borax was originally hauled out of the California Nevada desert. Um, pretty cool. If you ever drive through there, you can drive through Boron and Ceres Lake and that area, and you'll see a lot of times they have a lot of water out there, and you can see these salts that are that are crystallizing in this. So what they do is they they let it dry out typically, and then um, they're able to get it that way. And they have other things that they can do with it. Um, they talk about it being used uh, as a pH buffer, a water softening agent, small scale gold mining. Uh, might be used, a, f a flubber and food additive when mixed with aluminum chloride can be used as a flux when welding iron and steel. Also, household laundry and cleaning products include 20 Mule Team Borax Laundry Booster, Boraxo powdered hand soap, and some tooth bleaching formulas are also um, known to, to have that. Of course, you don't want to uh, consume this stuff because it could cause liver cancer. And um, just don't want to do that. But people used to drink it way back in the day, I think, and think it was probably pretty good for you. Um, the dust could be bad, too. And uh, if you breathe too much of it, you could have respiratory problems. You could even get uh, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain. It could affect the vascular system and human brain, including headaches, lethargy, and uh, a beefy red rash Rarely, but can happen, affecting the palms, soles, your rear end, oh man, and uh, uh, your groin area, I'll just put it that way. Not fun. So you got to be careful. Uh, it's not good for children and uh, pregnant women. So, but there it is. Some minerals of the high desert. We'll get into some more of those eventually too. All right. Um, I wanted to tell you about a gold mine let me see if I can pull it up again here. Um, let's see. Bull Run Mineral Property. That's what I wanted to tell you about. Got to do a little gold mining news, right? That's always fun. Um, this is in Colorado. Our friends at Gold Rush Expedition tell us about the Bull Run Mineral Property in Hinsdale County, Colorado. 20-acre claim boasting gold, silver, copper, lead, zinc, and antimony. The Bull Mineral property has an immense economic and uh, history, and it is one of the few accessible high country Colorado gold mines. And a lot of them, you know, you really got to wait for the snow to disappear. They're above 10,000 foot level. Um, my dad had worked at some of the mines in Colorado many, many years ago. The main portal is cut in a, uh, in the rock, it's stable and usable with the Department of Recreation gate at the entrance. Um, there's a cherry-stemmed allocation amid a sea of wilderness. The new owner will likely uh, spot... Okay, I don't want to do an advertisement for it. I want to talk about the, uh, the mining days consist of a series of workings on impressive outcropping of quartz and iron. There's tailings. With 39, almost a 30, yeah, almost 39,000 ton dump pile containing visible native gold, pyrite, and quartz. Samples from the dump assaying an average of 0.9245 ounces of gold per ton. The dumps on the bull run alone are estimated to contain over 35,000 ounces of gold. Um, one person who had previously worked this 
bull run with his family for five generations, reported his great-great-grandfather started working the bull run property in the 1930s, produced 10 to 20 ounces of ore per season, which was processed in Durango. The ore, uh, 10 to 20 tons, the ore paid out between $900 and $1,500 per season, and the gold standard was lifted in 1970. The family returned to mining, did some work that would net them about five to 6000 per season. So it was kind of a small operation, actually. According to the history, the primary report is quartz with gold found on a long vein on a crosscut. And uh, the vein varies from a few inches to over three feet. The vein never showed signs of pinching out. So this will take some work to get this out. There's audits there. There's a gate. Um, pretty cool if you're interested in a gold mine. Pretty pricey. Looks like they want sixty over $63,000 for that. But it's always nice to... I always enjoy reading the history because you can go up there and in that area in Hinsdale County and you can go prospecting around those areas and you're going to find float. You're going to find maybe gold in the streams and stuff where it's not claimed. Um, so it's always something fun to look at. Now here's another, um, another riddle for you or a crossword. Um, this is from highsnobiety.com, and they asked the question, where was it? Did I lose it? I think I did. No, I did lose it. Okay, let's talk about Lakota Blue Ice Agate. Our friends at Rock and Jim, just go to Rock the letter N and gym.com, and you can find out all about this. They email me and send me this every week. They're not a sponsor of the show, but you can find out about this Pine Ridge Lakota Reservations, privately owned land. This is a beautiful blue chalcedony with blue hues that catches your attention. It makes beautiful cabochons. Um, people like to make hearts, but other shapes are good too. There is a significant amount of uh, erosion in this area. And some of these stones um, are collected uh, during the winter because it's so darn hot out there. It's a seam agate, so it's about one quarter to three quarters of an inch thick in small pieces. And you want to cut this material down the middle and dome it from the outer edges, gliding through the rough, naturally exposed surface areas. And um, if you can get a thick piece... Try to cut off the outer rough edge down the middle and get two nice slabs to start your work. Almost 100% of the material is usable since the color flows through the entire slab. So, uh, cabbing. Oh, by the way, this story is by Russ Kenyuth. Uh, cabbing is like a typical agate. Um, you can start with uh, about a 280 grit and um, shape it and smooth it out once you've got your shape. And then just keep working down to the smaller grits. You can you can go down to a 600 and then polish. Or you can continue down to a 14,000 grit wheel. And this will give you a very mirror-like polish. Definitely worth the money to uh, have that type of a um, polisher. Okay, now we've got our last story of the day. Kind of a quick one today. I've been just super busy, guys. 
So I uh, wanted to get something out to you, get some good stuff. Exploring the Royal Peacock Opal Mine. Uh, legacy of Cowboys and Opal. This is a very interesting story from our friends at Rock and Jim. The Royal Peacock Opal Mine. There's some of the most beautiful uh, opal has been found over there. It has been uh, very desired by collectors. Uh, they call it the peacock because it's uh, iridescent, all different colors. It has uh, black. Uh, it has every color of the rainbow and in between. Very desired. Local history tells us that collectors traveled to the bars in the cowboy days off, off in uh, Cedarville and other Surprise Valley communities to swap the shimmering, glittering gemstones for shots of whiskey. So apparently they would go out there and uh, dig up a little bit of it and then use that to just kind of trade because it wasn't really a big value on it. It was just a pretty pretty stone at that time. Um, an early buckaroo named Harry Wilson was born and raised in Surprise Valley at the community of Fort Bidwell. He worked uh, cattle for a big multi-state ranching operation before he went off and partnered with a couple friends in 1925. They bought homesteads and became the consolidated as the Virgin Valley Ranch, according to Julie Wilson, granddaughter and third generation to operate the Royal Peacock Mine. Now, it's interesting because this story says that... Uh, Back in the day, this was an old west town. Um, there wasn't much people out there. It was before Highway 140 connected Virgin Valley with Lakeview, about 100 miles to the west, a time when Modoc County surprised valley towns of Cedarville, Fort Bidwell, and Lake City were the nearest watering holes. There was no electricity until 1968. Can you believe that? No telephone until 1970. This area was very dry, and their family owned and operated this cattle ranch all this time until they were kind of swallowed up by the Sheraton National, uh, National Wildlife Refuge, uh, which was created in 1931. Now, they shouldn't have had to be kicked off this land, in my opinion, but uh, they basically said, you cannot ranch the land and you basically have to sell your 1600 acres to us for nothing and then they put this land into this nature conservatory and um, but they were able to hang on to the mineral rights for this claim so i'm surprised they didn't take that too because that's that's what uh our government's been pretty famous for uh, taking people who have rights to the land that go back long before. Because, see, the federal government's not supposed to own all these lands. You know, if you ever read the Constitution, they're not supposed to own a very big piece of land at all. They're only supposed to have land for, like, military bases, small buildings. I don't think it's supposed to be bigger than one square mile. A lot of limitations to what they can do and what they can have. And one square mile, I think, is about... Uh, 640 acres. So this was way bigger than what they were constitutionally um, allowed to do. But anyway, in 1973, they switched their focus to the mines and started collecting these beautiful peacock gems. Um, they petitioned, the family petitioned the Nevada State Legislation 
to recognize these black opals from Virgin Valley as a Nevada state precious gemstone. And, and it has become so. And there's an exhibit at the Capitol bu building there in Carson City. Millions and millions of dollars of opals have been extracted from this family claim. They have uh, almost 200 claims in the area. The mine remains family-run with a keen focus on welcoming other families with an opportunity to find your own opals. So that would definitely be something worth doing. Um, they talk about their fond memories of, of uh, childhood living uh, and mining the opals and things like that. You can read more about that if you want. Uh, again, the Peacock Opal Mine. And uh, they also talk about finding sunstones and, and other things. So they're continuing this legacy. There's campgrounds there. There's a nature opportunity for nature things to see. And the story's by Amy Grisak. If you want to read the entire article and find out more about this, wonderful opportunity for the Royal Peacock Opals that you can get there. Anyway, uh, that looks like about it for today, folks. I want to thank you all for tuning in. And until next time, remember, rockhounds don't die, they petrify.